In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Behold the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sins of the world. In 1968, Eric Erickson, a developmental psychologist, published Youth, Identity, and Crisis. And for a time, the identity crisis became pervasive. It was what I call the malady du jour. A professor of mine, a professor of church history, opined that people were really suffering from an integrity crisis. They knew who they were, but they didn't want anyone to know. I leave it to you to meditate on that. The fact of the matter is, I can't remember a thing that Eric Erickson wrote 50 years ago, but identity is a crucially important matter for each and every person. Because being determines act, or stated less philosophically, my behavior is a manifestation of who I am. It is an expression of my identity. Now identity, of course, is a multifaceted thing, although we rarely think of it that way. To take myself as an example, I'm a parish priest, husband, father, grandfather, brother, uncle, neighbor, friend, American, Southern Californian, a Pittsburgher. My Steelers are playing today, you know. And an adopted son of God. This list of the facets of my identity is not exhaustive but inclusive enough, I hope, to make my point. You might sit down, and I hope that you will, you might sit down sometime and make a list of the facets of your identity and ask yourself, of all the facets of my identity, which is the most important to me? Which facet of my identity determines how I live the other facets of my identity? What's true for you and for me is also true for our Lord Jesus Christ in his sacred humanity. He was in his life among us the son of Mary of Nazareth, the legal son, we should never forget that, that he was the legal son of Joseph, his foster father and guardian. He was part of an extended family that included cousins and other relatives. He was a neighbor. And he was a friend. Think of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus of Bethany. He was a village carpenter, having learned the trade from Joseph. He was an Israelite, a Nazarene, and a member, very importantly, of the tribe of Judah. He was an itinerant preacher, healer, teacher, and the only begotten Son of God. And it is this last facet of Jesus' identity that determined all that he said and did as Mary's son, as Joseph's foster child, as a cousin, nephew, friend, Israelite, member of the tribe of Judah, itinerant preacher, teacher, and healer. The seasons of Christmas and Epiphany are the church's annual 
meditation on Jesus' identity. And today we hear John the Baptist proclaim him to be the Lamb of God. With this proclamation, John is telling us that Jesus has come into the world to be a sacrificial victim. Who Jesus is can never be separated from what he came into the world to do. The Son of God can never be separated from his cross because the cross has been given to him by his heavenly Father. And it is Jesus' mission to bear the cross in obedience to the Father's will. At his birth, which we just celebrated, angels announced his appearing, but there was no room for him among men. All things were made through him, St. John the Apostle tells us, and without him was not anything made that was made. But he was relegated to the very fringe of human society to be born near the ox and the ass. This is the meaning of the manger and the stable. It points to his mission to be cast out and to bear the cross. The fact is there is never room for the Son of God in this busy world which was created through him and by him. And that's the real reason why the world is always in the mess that it is in. And we hear all kinds of reasons and justifications and excuses for why the world is always in a mess. But the reason is that the world has no room for the eternal Son of God. The wise men appeared shortly after the Lord's birth bearing their famous gifts, gold for the king, frankincense for the priest, and myrrh for his death and burial. Jesus, the king of the Jews, and that means Jesus, who is God, because God is the king of the Jews, came as priest to make an eternal covenant between God and man by sacrifice, and the sacrifice he will offer is himself. Herod, hearing of Jesus' birth, immediately tried to murder him, and the Holy Family fled to Egypt until his death. Who Jesus is and what Jesus does are so perfectly and absolutely one that they cannot be separated for a moment, even as we celebrate his birth. He is the perfectly integrated man. And that's what the apostles mean when they tell us that he is like us in everything but sin. His thoughts, his words, and his deeds are perfectly one. And his words and deeds never contradict his being as the Son of God. Behold the Lamb of God, says St. John the Baptist. Each time we celebrate the memorial of the Lord's saving death, immediately before we receive a share in his sacrificial self-offering by the reception of Holy Communion, we call upon him as the Lamb of God. O Lamb of God, that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. O Lamb of God, that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. And we cry out 
to the Lamb of God because the Lamb of God is present on the altar offering himself to us so that we can become one with him in his offering to the Father, in his perfect worship. St. John the Baptist identified our Lord as the Lamb of God at the very beginning of his ministry when he also identified him as the Son of God. St. John the Evangelist, an apostle, was granted a vision of our Lord in the glory of heaven. And I quote now from the book of Revelation. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads upon myriads and thousands of thousands saying in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Even enthroned in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father in glory, Jesus is the lamb who was slain. Jesus being in his act are eternally one, his cross and his glory forever, forever his. And what about us? What about all of us who are his disciples? Our calling is to integrate all the facets of our identities into our identity as the adopted children of God. This is precisely what it means to grow in faith and grace, what it means to grow in holiness. Holiness is all about becoming integrated people, people who have integrated all the parts of our identity, all the facets of our identity into that transcendent and eternal identity as adopted children of God. When we were baptized, we were united with Christ in his death on the cross. To quote St. Paul, the letter to the Romans, all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. The gift we receive from God at baptism is an identity. You know, I always wondered in seminary, they would say, you know, it's a grace. Yeah, but what exactly is that, you know? What is exactly that gift that we receive? The gift that we receive is an imperishable identity. Sorry about that. We become adopted sons and daughters of God by sharing sacramentally in the cross of our Lord. For in order to become children of God, we must die with the Son of God. And St. Paul says it as simply and directly as possible. If we have died with him, then we shall also live with him. Jesus, our Lord, did not create or invent his own identity. He received it from his father who said at his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Likewise, Jesus did not choose the cross. His mission in the world was given to him by his father and receiving it, he became, in the words of St. Paul, obedient unto death, even death on a cross. 
We cannot make ourselves children of God. We can only receive this supernatural and imperishable identity as a gift from God. And the mission he's given us is to become the sons and daughters he has adopted us to be. Theodore Dalrymple, the very great British essayist, recently made the following observation, looking around at all the people who tell him that he, they're spiritual. They're not Christians, they're not Jews, but they're spiritual, spiritual. The reason, he believes, is this. Many people claim to be spiritual rather than religious because being spiritual imposes no discipline upon them, at least none they do not choose for themselves. Being spiritual, not religious, gives you that warm inner feeling, a bit like whiskey on a cold day. It is the gratification of religion without the inconvenience of religion. Unfortunately, he concludes, like many highly diluted solutions, it has no taste. The adopted sons and daughters of God are invited to drink from the cup of salvation, and the cup of salvation is no diluted solution. To be invited to share in the cup is a sign of our adoption, and all the discipline, sacrifice, and yes, inconvenience that goes with it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.